All right. Today's Bible reading uh, is taken from John chapter 6, verse 26 to 59. So if you can turn to your Bible or just follow through uh, from the screen. Um, So let me read. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the sign I performed, but because you ate the loaf and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, What must we do to what what must we do to do the work uh, the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestor ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I, tell, uh, as I told you, you have seen me, and, I still do, and you still do not believe. All, the, all those the Father gives me will come to you. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jew, Jews there began to grumble about him because, he's, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I, come, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourself, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestor ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Thanks so much, Steve, for reading the Bible to us. Uh, and thanks, John, for the invitation to be here um, this morning. It's just really wonderful that uh, I get to meet you guys face to face. I've heard really wonderful things over the years from John. Um, so, yeah, it's my pr- pleasure and privilege to be here this morning uh, and to be opening this word to us. How about I ask for God's help as we look at this passage? Gracious Father, we thank you that you're a God who is living uh, and who speaks uh, and reveals yourself to us. Uh, and so we pray now as we look at this passage about what Jesus has to say about who he is uh, and about what he's come to the world to do, uh, we pray that you might help us to um, yeah, consider uh, what Jesus has to say and that we might respond appropriately as well. We pray that your spirit might be at work uh, through your word, uh, impacting us for the sake of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got some slides. It's great. Okay. Well, um, as many of us be aware, um, Queen Elizabeth II, she died last year. Uh, And in the wake of her death, there was a huge outpouring of grief uh, that people expressed uh, for her. You know, people all around the world, particularly in the UK, they turned up to show their deep gratitude and their thankfulness to their queen. Uh, And in the midst of all that grief, there were also some stories, some wonderful stories uh, about the Queen and her remarkable life. Um, This was, I'm about to share one of my favourite stories uh, that was shared about the Queen. It was told by this man. His name was Richard Gaffin. He was a royal protection officer for the Queen at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, pretty much a bodyguard for the Queen. And he tells this story of a time when he went for a walk uh, with the Queen. And on the walk, they bumped into some American tourists. And Richard said that uh, in the story that it was clear that the two tourists, they had no idea who the Queen was. And so they just started talking to the Queen about their holiday. They asked the Queen, so where do you live? And the Queen says, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday house just over the hills. Uh, The tourist then asked, well, how long have you been coming here? And the queen replied, well, I've been coming here for a long time, since I was a child, about 80 years or so. And then Richard describes what happened next. So he says that he he noticed that the cogs in the tourist's heads were starting to turn. And the tourist said, well, if you've been coming here for 80 years, you must have met the queen. (laughs) Because a flash, the queen replied, well, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly and so you know the tourists were now intrigued and they began to ask Richard all these questions about the queen what is she like never once realizing that the queen was standing right there in front of her and then to top it all off before parting ways 
the tourists put their arm around the bodyguard and then gave the queen their camera and said to the queen, can you take a picture of me and the bodyguard? The queen was standing right there, right in front of them all that time, and they did not recognize her. Now, I, I think this is exactly what's happening when we come to this passage that was just read. Jesus is standing right there in front of them, but the crowd do not recognize him. The crowd don't recognize the significance of the moment that's taking place right in front of them. But they should have. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, we learn that Jesus just performed a miraculous sign where he feeds a crowd of more than 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So the, the crowd, they should have recognized what Jesus was doing then. Jesus was re-performing the miraculous sign in Exodus when God had rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through Moses. See, through this sign, Jesus was revealing to them who he was, that he was God's promised prophet, one that was greater than Moses, and that they must listen to him. But when the crowd reappear in this passage that was just read, what is it that they're interested in? Are they interested in Jesus or his words? No, not really. We, we read in verse 26 uh, what the, the thing that they're looking for. Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, all they were looking for in Jesus was for their bellies to be filled. Even at this early stage in the story, the crowd showed that they aren't really interested in Jesus. They're not really interested in what he has to say. They've come to Jesus, but they've already made up their minds about who Jesus is and what he has to offer. And all he is to them is a free lunch. Well, I think we can be a little bit like this as well, can't we? Uh, We can look for Jesus, but in our heads, we've already made up in our minds who he is and what he has to give us. Uh, Maybe we've made up in our minds that Jesus is just a wise teacher, that he has good things to say about Practically, how do we live well in this world? Or that he's a great person, the very best person, who gives us a good example of how to live a good life, how to be a good person. Or that to us, he's just a crutch. He's just good to get out of sticky situations. See, I think when we do this, we fall into the trap that the crowd fell into. We fail to recognize the significance of the person that's standing right there in front of us, who is Jesus, and he is God himself. And because we've made up our minds already about Jesus, we don't listen very carefully to his words. And most tragically, we go on to miss out on everything that he has to say about himself and all the things that he has to promise to us. So. Question for us this morning is, will we recognize the significance of Jesus and what he has to say to us this morning? And as a result, listen carefully to his words. Well, what is it that Jesus has to say about himself? Well, the first thing that he has to say is, he says that he is the bread of life. 
Uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is the first of the seven I am statements that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. Uh, So I'm going through uh, the seven statements uh, at our church. Uh, But what does it mean for Jesus to be the bread of life? Well, I think it means two things. Firstly, that only Jesus can satisfy our deepest spiritual longings. That's the first thing. And secondly, it's only Jesus who can give us life and eternal life. So we're going to unpack both statements uh, this morning. So the first statement, what does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? Well, it means that only Jesus can satisfy our deepest spiritual longings. Uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What is it Jesus is it that Jesus is talking about when he talks about being hungry and thirsty? Well, I think it's pretty obvious he's not talking about physical hunger or thirst. That in fact, what he's talking about is a spiritual hunger and thirst. You know, he's talking about a deep longing for satisfaction and significance that lies at the heart of every single person. Uh, Before a friend of mine became a Christian, uh, this is the way that he described that hunger and thirst. He said it was a feeling of emptiness that I needed to fill up like a hole in my heart. And for him, he tried to fill it up with his achievements. Uh, He was a high achiever at school. So he got a high ATAR score, he completed a degree at a top university, and then straight out from uni, he got offered a job um, at his dream company. But he said that none of these things actually filled up that emptiness, that every time he got what he wanted, he felt that it was empty. It wasn't what I thought it was. See, we all have a hole in our heart. Uh, and all of us, we try to fill it up with something. For you, it might be your grades at school or your marks at school or a romantic relationship with someone or maybe trying to please uh, all your friends and family or finding and buying that or, and living in that dream home in that perfect suburb. These are all good things, but the problem is none of these things can fill up that hole that is inside our hearts. They can't give us what we really hunger and thirst for. Why? Well, because these things were never meant to. God never meant for them to satisfy us in that way. Our deepest longings can only be met by God himself and in God himself and in the relationship with him. So for Jesus to say, he is the bread of life. He's saying that he can give this to us. He can satisfy us by giving us what we all deeply and truly need, which is God himself and a relationship with him. Why is it that he can do this? Well, it's because of who he is. He's the divine son of God who has come from heaven to do the will of God of bringing people back to God. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 38 to 39. He says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. 
See, what Jesus is talking about here is God's eternal plan of salvation. That people, we've broken our relationship with God in our rebellion against him and we're under his judgment. But that God the Father elects some to be restored to God, restored in a relationship with him. And it is God's son, Jesus, who accomplishes this plan by his perfect life and his perfect death on the cross. It's only Jesus who can restore people back to God. Why? Well, because it's because as a divine son of God, he is the only one who does the will of the Father, who always does the will of the Father. As a son, he's always obedient to his Father's will, even when it meant for him to give up his life and to die on the cross so that we can all have eternal life. And we see this in verse 40. Jesus says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. See, in the book of John, eternal life doesn't just mean life after death. It's actually life now as God intended life to be lived in all the fullness of a restored relationship with God. It starts now and it continues on into eternity. So what are the ways that you try to satisfy your spiritual hunger and thirst? What are the things that you look to to fill up that emptiness inside, to fill up that hole in your heart that we all experience? Jesus promises here he can satisfy us in a way such that we'll never be hungry again, we'll never be thirsty again. Do you believe that? And have you come to him as the bread of life? That's the first thing that Jesus, as the bread of life, promises to people. And this is the second. That as the bread of life, Jesus can give us life beyond death. It's only Jesus who can give us life and eternal life. Uh, for many of us, I'm sure that um, a couple of months ago, you guys celebrated the lunar New Year, uh, I did, and uh, really the Lunar New Year, I think for us as a family, is just another chance for us to get together as a family, but to eat lots of food, eat lots of good food. And when we get together with our family, I can always expect there's similar things on the menu. Uh, there's always certain dishes that my mum will serve that um, you know, Chinese people believe can give life, can prolong life, in fact, to regenerate life. You know, food like abalone or sea cucumbers. The truth is, it doesn't matter how lavish the food you eat is or how organic or how fresh, how expensive, at the end of the day, food that you eat cannot give you eternal life. Even if bread was to be rained down from heaven as manna as it did for the Israelites and we were to eat of it, we will still eventually die. This is the point that Jesus makes in verse 48 and onwards. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. Why is that? Well, it's because life, at least eternal life, doesn't come from physically eating. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from spiritually eating Jesus, the bread of life. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 50 to 51. 
He says, but he is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Why is it that Jesus can give life and eternal life? Well, again, it's because Jesus is God. And as God, he has life in and of himself. Uh, This is what Jesus says in the chapter before, chapter 5, verse 26. He says, for just as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. See, unlike us, the God of the Bible, the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they don't need anything to have life. We need food, we need shelter, we need water, we need relationships. We aren't self-sufficient. We are dependent on those things for life. If we don't have them, we'll die. But that's not the same for God. God doesn't need anything outside of him for life. They have life in themselves. They are self-sustaining and self-sufficient for life. And Jesus has life in himself, and that is why he can give life to us. All we need to do is to eat of him. What does it mean for us to eat of Jesus, the bread of life? Well, this is the final point that Jesus makes in verses 53 to 59. Here, instead of saying that we must eat him, the bread of life, he says we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. This is a really big graphic and in-your-face image. Uh, The crowd, they recognize this, and they're actually so offended by Jesus' words that many of them will end up rejecting Jesus completely. So what does it mean when Jesus says that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Is he talking about the Lord's Supper? That's a good thought. But I think there's some good reasons to believe that the Lord's Supper isn't what Jesus has in mind here. Uh, Why? Well, because in every other passage in the Bible where it teaches about the Lord's Supper, the word flesh isn't used to describe Jesus' death. Instead, it's Jesus' body which is broken for us. But also, uh, more importantly, that view just doesn't fit with Jesus' emphasis in this passage, that eternal life comes from believing, believing in him. So I think the best way to understand what Jesus means here is that eating his flesh and drinking his blood is a metaphor for believing in him. To eat Jesus is to believe in Jesus. How are we to eat Jesus, the bread of life? Well, we had to believe in him. I think it's a brilliant metaphor that Jesus uses here because eating helps us understand what it means to believe in him. How does it help us? Well, if you think about the act of eating, what happens in the act of eating, uh, really what, what happens is you take food which is outside of us and we bring it inside of us. Yeah. It's probably summary of how you eat, Uh, you know, for us to be nourished, to get energy and nutrients from the food, we must internalize the food. Yeah? Yeah. We must eat of it. In fact, food is no good to us if it remains outside of us. 
And what Jesus is saying here is it's exactly the same thing when it comes to believing in him. So when Jesus says in verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's saying, I am no good to you if I remain outside of you. When he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, he's saying in the strongest way possible, we must get him inside our system, inside of us, if we want eternal life. That's what he's saying. To have life, we must eat of him, which means to internalize what he says about himself and what he's promised to us. What does it mean to internalize what Jesus says about himself and his promises? Well, this is what John Calvin, my Presbyterian, so I've got a, included a quote from John Calvin somewhere in the sermon. But this is what he says about this. He says, the hinge which faith turns on is not to treat the promises that God offers us as true only outside ourselves, rather that we make them ours by inwardly embracing them. Do you see what Calvin's saying here? He's saying believing is not just to believe what Jesus says as true in a general sense, like in an abstract way, apart and outside of us, or that it's true for other people, but not for me. To believe in Christ is to accept that it is true for me. When Jesus speaks, his words and his promises address me. That when he came into the world and he died on the cross, he did it for me. And then we make it inwardly our own by embracing them. That is what it means to believe in Christ. What might this look like in our lives? Well, these are a couple of examples. It might look like this. When those who are most dear to us, when they fail or reject us or abandon us, We won't despair because we know what Jesus has promised us, that he will never abandon us. Or when we find ourselves rubbing shoulders with those who seem to have everything that you need in life, everything you want in life, we won't feel the need to envy them or feel like we're missing out because Jesus, well, he's already given me all the things that I need in life for a full life now, a relationship with God, that will go on for eternity. Or when death comes knocking at our door, we won't be afraid because we believe, we know Jesus has the one, has the power to raise us to life again. And even if our closest Christian friends or Christian mentors, those that we look up to, even if they would abandon Jesus, as many disciples do after listening to Jesus' words here, we will still remain with him because Peter's words in verse 68 ring true for us. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is Jesus your bread of life? Have you made Jesus yours by inwardly embracing them? Do you believe that Jesus can give you a full life now and for the eternity to come? Jesus says, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Will you come and eat of him by believing in him? Amen. Time, Kev. How are you feeling? Ready? Um, Ready for some good questions? Yeah. yeah. Let's see what comes up. <laughs> okay, let's start from the top. What do you think the Catholic, why do you think the Catholic faith believe in literal flesh and blood of Jesus when taking the Holy Communion? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm not sure. Like, why they where that doctrine um came from um it's, yeah not really done enough you know study and i haven't really looked at it closely enough um you know so i i take it that um yeah i mean this is so luther for instance had a funny view of also you know what jesus was talking about what happens in the lord's supper and he his view came from the fact that jesus said this is my body you know, so when he said, this is the bread, this is my body, this is my blood. And they just, he just took that quite literally. Yep. So like, but this is, like, this is, yeah, my this body. is my, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, you know, he didn't take a, he didn't, he didn't think that Jesus was talking um, metaphorically or figuratively, he took it literally. But, I mean, that's, that's Luther as a reformed, you know, Christian, as a father of the reformed faith. So I, I'm guessing that's probably where it sort of come from. It's just mm-hmm. taking passages like that in the Bible literally yeah. and not seeing okay well what's jesus talking about here you know for instance you know when jesus says i'm the gate like he's not talking about him having hinges and you know, him having a handle like you're talking figuratively there yeah. and perhaps the same thing is happening here which is the way that i take it that most most of us would understand jesus words yeah yeah, yeah it's a tricky thing eh, to know when to take something literally and then when to understand it that it is metaphor because it's yeah. just speech i suppose yeah that's right yeah mm. all right Next question, what are examples of ways we can build long, a long-lasting faith and relationship with God? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think God has given us all we need uh, in his word and not just his word but uh, in Christian community that enables us to actually not just, you know, uh, survive in our faith but thrive in our faith. Uh, so, you know, I, I think what, the things that you guys are doing, uh, and I'm sure that you guys are doing, I encourage you to do, reading your Bible regularly, um, having a, a vibrant prayer life, um, communing with God, you know, privately in your own time, but also the importance of being involved in Christian community, uh, like church, like, but, you know, that's, that's what God has um, instructed us has you know it's, it's not just instructed us but he he's given us a church as a as a way for us to to grow and to nourish us that you know we're not christians in isolation and uh you know as an island but we actually have other christian brothers and sisters who encourage us and keep us you know thriving and growing in our um in our christian life so yeah i, I think i'll i'll suggest those things as um just sort of basic but fundamental foundational things, you know, um, time with God, but also time with God's people uh, as a regular rhythm of life. Yeah. Yeah, it really is the basics, say. Like if you don't have the basics down, you can add other fancy stuff on top, but it's just not going to, it's not going to do much without the basics in place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
That's the question. Uh, why does Jesus talk in such hard to understand metaphors? So that's not just here. It's like all over the Gospels, eh? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, the, the Gospel of John is just full of metaphors like that. You know, there's seven I am statements, but there's also different sayings of Jesus. Um, you know, so uh, I think it's Augustine, who's, you know, the great church father. He talks about John, the Gospel of John being uh, easy enough for um, the simple to you know, understand deep truths, but also deep enough, there's all this rich, deep theology that allows, you know, those who are, you know, I guess, who studied the, the Bible a lot, you know, just to wade through it. Yeah. So I think you have that happening at, you know, it, you know, you sort of see it in this passage that Jesus says something really basic on the brittle life. And even without unpacking fully what it means, I think most of us have a good sense of what he means, you know, bread being food, sustenance, Jesus being the bread of life, he's the one who sustains us. But, of course, you know, there's, there's always you know, different layers and, you know, sort of more, more depth in, into what he's saying. Um, yeah, well, why does he do that? I mean, I think Jesus is just a fantastic teacher. Like he, he just teaches in a way that, you know, his teaching is sticking in your mind. Um, and so even if you're not a Christian, you know, so many of Jesus' sayings, his, his stories, his parables have ended up, um, just in our vernacular, you know, just common, common tongue. And I think it's because he just had a knack for teaching really well. It's because he's God. Um, yeah, but, you know, some of them are a little bit tricky just to really understand and unpack what, what, he's, what he's really saying. Yeah. So there's like there's the surface understanding that you can kind of just read and understand, but then there's like so much in that that, you can just keep diving into it. So maybe it's just hard because there's so much in there. Yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. But, you know, I think there's, there is that sense that, particularly with the Gospel of John, like anyone, even a child can read it mm-hmm. and you get a sense of what Jesus is saying when he says mm-hmm. things like, I'm the real life or I'm the light of the world or, you know, uh, I'm the good shepherd. Um, but, of course, you know, he's, he's building on the history of the Bible, you know, the Old Testament that... Um, have a deeper understanding as you get into those things yeah yeah cool um and then i think is, is there one more sense yep uh john six thirty nine. does this mean there are people whom god will not save so i'll read that out uh john six thirty nine. and this is the will of him who sent me so you quoted this in your sermon that i shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up uh at the last day for my oh yeah that's it yeah. Um, so, are there some people God will not save? Yeah. Um, so, you know, getting into the the doctrine, this will be the doctrine of predestination or election. Um, and I know that you know there's different Christians that have different uh, perspectives on that. Um, uh, my own perspective, you know, as a Calvinist, I'll 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 say that yes. Um, there are some that God ordains, as I sort of mentioned in the sermon. He, he, he elects to, to save. Um, if, you know, everyone's no one's deserving of salvation. Everyone's um, sinned against God. They're under God's judgment. But there are some that God will save. Um, does that mean that there are people whom God will not save? I guess that logically makes sense. I don't think it, you know it's fair to say that there are some that God will ordain to judgment. You know, I won't take that view. I don't, I don't think that's, you know, strongly in the Bible, but I think it's fairly clear in passages like this and other passages. It's my own personal view that, yes, um, 
God uh, does elect some to be saved. And uh, Jesus died. Yeah, Jesus dies for them. And the Holy Spirit um, applies what Jesus has done for those that have been elected uh, by God to be saved. Doctrine of election in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah, it's it's tricky to wrestle with, eh? Because we'll we'll also say, you know, God's loving and doesn't want anyone to be lost. But at the same time, it's like it seems very true that some, not everyone, will be saved, as you're saying. Yeah, so it's the yeah. it's kind of the um the uh emotional implications maybe on who God is and like our understanding that makes that really hard. And I guess that's like a, a question that people have wrestled with like across centuries and not really come to uh, a firm um, position on. And mm. there's probably something that this person will have to like just keep thinking about throughout their life and yeah. un- as they grow in understanding of God. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. Thanks, Kevin. Did really well. <laughs> Tricky yeah. questions there, man. Oh, it passed easily. It's easier than the Prezi ordination thing. Um, yeah, thanks Thanks for speaking to us today and, um, yeah, just sharing to us from John. 